You're listening to Marcus Sahaba Online Radio Podcast. The time of the evening uh, where you join us on Al and Alhamdulillah to talk, uh, we have uh, uh, our very own uh, attorney, Hafiz Muhammad Kuvadia, who's been uh, jet setting, being, uh, you know, going here, there, everywhere. And Alhamdulillah, before we get in uh, to our topic proper, which is uh, what our constitu- what are our constitutional rights uh, when the state interferes with our religion or with our religious rights and so forth. We'll bring in the whole global dynamics of the one world disorder that is uh, being thrown at us. We either with this uh, disorder or we against the disorder. It seems as if there's a polarization taking place, people. And if we are not conscientized and we are not strong enough to read in between the lines, then uh, I'm afraid we could be caught in the backwash and taken out into the oceans of damnation. Yes, let me welcome you with uh, our attorney, Hafiz Muhammad Kuvadia, with a hearty Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. And Muhammad, lekker lekker to have you back. How was your trip? Talk to us. Give us a call, Guzari, on your trip to Turkey, Greece. I don't know where else, where else you went, but uh, how are you doing, my beloved brother? Wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. And my brother Shafat, thank you for the warm welcome. Always the warm Durban. Indian Ocean welcome is so welcoming to us. So Jazakallah once again for giving us the opportunity to be with yourselves and your listeners on a beautiful Friday night. We're receiving lots of rain here in Gauteng over the last few days. Alhamdulillah, Alhamdulillah, something we need very dearly, very desperately in our country is um, one of the drought-stricken countries around the world. It may not appear to be the case, but in reality, South Africa is one of the drought-stricken countries in the world and in Africa, we suffer as a continent with a lack of rain. But um, always good to be back home. Yes, I was away for a couple of weeks and uh, I think you contacted me to say we need to be doing a legal talk in the uh, in the near future. And I said, yes, I'm away. I was in Turkey, alhamdulillah. And, um, you know, when you visit Muslim countries, I was telling somebody the other day, there's always something so beautiful about going to a Muslim country, whether it's... Uh, mm. Uh, Saudi Arabia or Malaysia, in, in many, many ways, you know, first of all, the food is, is a total blessing and an opportunity for you to indulge in the local gourmet and the local culture and the local the delicacies. And um, then when you see the history and the legacy behind some of these towns and cities, the country, we know Constantinople was a stronghold for the Roman Empire. And we know the Hagia Sophia and, and some of the relics in around uh, Istanbul were previously strongholds for the churches. And when Islam came, Islam took away, removed these, um, these these Christian pagan beliefs and replaced them in the whole country, in the country as a whole, so many thousand years ago. Until today, alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah, Islam is the foremost religion in Turkey. And Islam is, and, uh, and Turkey is a, an example of how a Muslim country can function. Sure. We do understand that it has its shortfalls. Any Muslim country around the world has its shortfalls. But how is it that Islam can be practiced freely, openly? And there, needs, there is a revival of Islam once again in Turkey. I think um, uh, we, we, we're familiar that there was, an, uh, there was a challenge 
to Islamic principles by Ataturk about 100 years ago, where he then, you know, created legislation. And maybe that will tie into our constitutional talk this evening, mm. where legislation is created and those legislations then take away from basic human rights. And uh, we in our country, well, we'll get to the discussion, but just discussing with Turkey. So we find that, uh, uh, alhamdulillah, the people have found that Islam, once again, cannot be overrun and overwritten by secular laws. And some of the laws that he put into place, for example, is that he banned the Islamic attire, that the azan was to be read out in the Turkish language and not the Arabic language, and uh, many other things. So just on the top of it, this is some of the changes they made, and it seems absolutely absurd that you would want to foist down religious beliefs and religious principles uh, onto onto the population, the general population. But this is what happened. But alhamdulillah, I think you know uh, when we go to these places, I love the dawah. I love the dawah that's happening in the blue blue mosque at this moment in time. So um, after you, uh, when you're leaving the blue mosque, you'll find that there's a dawah table. They have Quran in all the different languages. I think there's possibly about 20 major languages where the Quran can be, uh, uh, where you can, a free copy of the Quran is then handed out. And books and kitabs are then handed out uh, promoting Islamic values. And uh, this this was lovely because it's thousands of people that go through the Blue Mosque. And, um, you know, me and you look for opportunities of Dawah. So when I went there, I, I, I looked around and I saw, and I saw the non-Muslims were extremely grateful and, fascinated to be handed Islamic literature. And and we know today, if we search you know, on YouTube, we'll find that many people actually become Muslims because of a time that they were in Islamic countries, in Turkey or in Dubai or in Pakistan. You know, they, they find that it attracts them. Their journey, maybe a vacation, maybe a work stint, whatever it was, it attracts them. And I think also when you, what springs to mind is we have this famous, translator of the English Quran and he was the first translator of the Quran into English and his name was uh, Muhammad Mahmoudou Pickford and when you do his research you find out that he actually went to study Islam in Turkey and you know he, he then went on to understand um, Quranic sciences and with that, he then embarked on the project to translate the Quran into English. And, you know, that was considered to be now the most authoritative, well, it is the only translation of the Quran. And till today, it's amongst the top translations of, 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 trans, uh, of the Quran. And remember, until maybe two centuries ago, the Quran was not considered to be a book that is translatable. It was you know, it was the understanding of people that the Quran needs to be understood in the language it was revealed. And if you wanted to consider yourself a scholar of any measure, you would need to learn Arabic and you'd need to read the Quran and understand the Quran in its Arabic language, which has a lot of merit. We understand and appreciate that. But what about the masses? Islam was expanding and Islam was going out to different parts of the world. And if you come to UK 200 years ago, Islam was not even... Uh, uh, to be found in the communities there. And it was people like Mohammed Muhammad you picked up that did the translation and gave it to us and established uh, much in the Madrasa in Liverpool. So alhamdulillah, uh, maybe we're going off the topic, but it's interesting when we see and understand Islam in the early years and the development of Islam in different cultures and religions. 
And maybe with that, we'll begin to understand the development of the constitution in South Africa, where we so dearly, dearly welcomed it. And it was really something that was uh, the, the most authoritative. The constitution was the most authoritative. And one fell swoop destroyed all the apartheid legacies and legislations that, was a, that, that, was, that we were forced to accept and forced to live under in apartheid years. Now, Mohammed, perhaps you taught me a lesson uh, this uh, evening because I thought uh, Pixar uh, was a correspondent in Egypt, and it was uh, in Egypt where he was uh, attracted to Islam, and this is where he got his inspiration from. And uh, yeah, he's also been a son of a pastor, and he was a pastor in the church and so forth. But I'll have to check my history again. But uh, if you said Turkey, I'll have to look into that history again. But uh, I'll take your word for it temporarily. And I have to go back no, to no. my... It could very well be that he could have been in both the countries. Remember, these the countries are in close proximity to each other at the same time. And he could have maybe spent some time in Turkey and some time in Egypt. But from my, uh, from what I came across, I, I understand that he did. In fact, um, when when the Ottoman when the Ottoman leader, the Khalifa at the time, came to the UK, he was in fact also... Um, invited to be part of the government, royal government delegation to receive the Ottoman. So the government had recognized that he was a person of merit and a person of education. And uh, because he was a Britisher, because he was a pure British white man, I think, you know, it um, it gave Islam that type of uh, understanding and, and the type of recognition that it required in that environment so many years ago. And, you know, we were still considered, Islam was still considered to be barbaric and ancient. Yeah, and also uh, he spoke Arabic very fluently, he used to write and so forth. But uh, Alhamdulillah, lovely history indeed, uh, looking at uh, Pickfall and, you know, it's still around. And, and many, uh, you know, contemporaries, I believe, Abdullah Yusuf Ali and all these people, they knew each other well. So Alhamdulillah, really great minds uh, came out at that time. And you talk about uh, Ataturk uh, being part of the... Uh, Brigade that broke up the caliphate, and you know he really diluted. He came from a dubious family a lineage and so forth, and all that is being exposed. You know, truth prevails, and falsehood perish, and falsehood by its very nature will also be exposed. And you know, when we look at our topic, what's our constitutional rights when the state interferes with our religious rights? And as I was telling ourselves, this. In, in our preamble, uh, that you look at the world today, you know, uh, the, the masses are being, are we being polarized? They are being polarized and you are forced to take uh, sides and the agenda is uh, fast forwarded. If you look at uh, Muhammad, if you look at uh, Ukraine, uh, the Ukrainian war, and you can see how they are fast forwarding. They're looking at individuals. They're demonizing certain people. Certain people are with them. They said, oh, these are the good people. But uh, uh, um, lies manifest, so much of lies being spoken around us and uh, uh, so much of uh, the doctrines uh, that are being fast forwarded into, uh, you know, uh, into countries or into uh, uh, in, into religious institutions. And in America, we know that they have made a big uh, hue and cry that, uh, you know, in certain places in America or certain states in America that the Bible will be banned and so forth. Never heard in the annals of history uh, that, you know, such a thing can be done, especially if you looked at America, I thought, hey, it's a Bible-thumping nation. 
but things like that are coming to the fore. Um, this one world disorder pushing forward the agenda, it seems as if the courts and, uh, you know, uh, other so-called, you know, we had law or abiding uh, authorities are being captured and are acquiescing in silence. How do you respond, uh, Mohammed? What about, I mean, uh, you, you've brought so many important factors and uh, changes that we've seen over, you, you mentioned these things over the last few months, not even the last few years. What about this gender neutrality thing which the government tried to impose uh, on us? What about now the world standing up uh, and saying uh, LGBTQ, whatever, whatever is not the part of our religion and, you know, it, it has a place in the community but not in Islam. Uh, and, and, and it's happening in, in Qatar, it's happening in Dubai. I came across um, something recently about the Abrahamic faith where they're going to build a complex that will house now a masjid, a uh, temple, a Jewish temple and a Christian church, all on the same complex in an effort for understanding and cooperation. And whilst all these values seem to promote one world order, as Muslims, we have a totally different understanding of what Islam, what the, what the other religions are compared to Islam. Islam for us is in the dina, in the Allah in Islam, and the only, only religion acceptable to Allah is Islam. In, in Muslim countries, especially with timing, it will be Bear with us. Uh, we do have some uh, gremlins uh, coming through there, but uh, Muhammad and I are navigating through bad weather. Uh, which is affecting our uh, connection here. But alhamdulillah, you know, Muhammad, you are very eloquently talking about, you know, the Abrahamic uh, cord and where they are uh, having uh, this uh, temples coming through, the synagogues and uh, uh, the churches all together. I mean, uh, they, they, if you look at it, I mean, let's interrogate that a bit more. I mean, all these Gulf states, uh, they're building, uh, besides, uh, you know, the, having the Abrahamic cord, they have uh, let uh, the temples come through in these uh, lands of, uh, you know, the Arabian bastions, those Arabians supposed to be, you know, uh, someone that we could trust, uh, but all those, uh, but you know, you're, 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 you're bringing in uh, the Abra Abrahamic Accord, opening up, uh, you know, our lands uh, to the infiltration of our Bible temples, and, you know, uh, never will the Yahud or Nasara be your friend, unless you follow their form of religion. Uh, go ahead, uh, Muhammad. So, Remember, this is very, very deep. And firstly, the Arabian Peninsula has been granted that ultimate protection by Nabi Sallallahu from shirk. In the sense that one of the few things that Nabi Sallallahu said before he passed away is that shirk shall never, something to the effect that shirk shall never be on the Arabian Jazeera, on the Arabian Peninsula ever again. And every Muslim has hit it upon himself that he needs to protect the Jazeera. Now, when you look at Dubai, and you look at Qatar, and you look at Kuwait, and you look at, you know, the, the, these little countries based along the edge of the Arabian Peninsula, they form part of the Arabian Peninsula. Until 20, 30 years ago, we never seen anything of this. For 1,400 years, the land was kept, land of Tawheed, and land that was not of shirk. This was what it was, and we were as Muslims proud that we could go to a land finally, and we could be in a land that Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and the Sahaba had established and 
had free from all types of idolatry and shirk that existed in the time. And we know very well about the shirk of the Meccans in the time of Jaiiliya. And this was all eradicated. Now, to appease whom? Like you say, the Abrahamic faith, Abrahamic accord, Abrahamic religion, like uh, Akbar in India said, the Dini Elahi, that the, worship, the, the, the people must come together and worship one God and one religion instead of having. This is not, there will always be the different religions, and unfortunately, there will even be the different understanding within the Islamic framework, because the business then informed us that Islam would be divided into 73. But nonetheless, the 73 sects that Islam talks about are all Muslims and are not. Kafirs, they are not the type of, they're not seeing or not being invaded. Your deen is not being invaded by shirk. And our land should not be polluted by the shirk that is coming in. The minute a person brings in the temple in the Arabian Peninsula, he has transgressed what Nabi Salaam has ordered. And that's an act of kufr. More importantly, you find that not only are these people supporting it financially, supporting it in terms of legislation, supporting it in other ways? They are going and paying homage in these temples. When these te temples are opening up, I'm shocked to see the leaders, the presidency, the ministers, senior members of government actually coming there and taking these garlands and taking these flowers and putting it on these gods as if it is only symbolic. It cannot be symbolic. Islam is not based on symbolism. Islam is the minute you commit these acts, you are then, your, your iman is at stake. Your iman is very well that you could lose your iman just by bowing down or just by revering or just by honoring these things which the Yahud or the Christians or the Hindus have placed as religious symbols and religious, um, uh, religious uh, uh, relics within the Muslim community. So much so that the earlier scholars said that we should not as Muslims even allow for a church or a temple or anything to be established in any Muslim land. So whether it's in North Africa or whether it was in Spain or whether it was in Afghanistan or Iran or Iraq, anywhere that the Sahaba and the Muslims have conquered, the fatwa is they should not allow any, any form of worship other than the worship of Allah. And anything had to be desecrated and removed from the community. And this was their thought, and this was their, their hukum and their order. But unfortunately today, after in the last 20 years, we are seeing some sort of cooperation and mutual understanding and existence to what, what, is, what are we paying? What is the price? We're sacrificing our own iman. We as Muslims are losing our iman en masse. Our children are going to be, the situation with them is going to be even worse than what our situation is currently. So yes, when you go out in the world and you're seeing and you're experiencing, you're wondering to yourself, this is Muslim countries, Muslim world, what is happening to us as Muslims around the world? What is happening? You know, what is happening in the Muslim world, and I mean, we get our religious scholars that are being uh, uh, incarcerated in the, the so-called holy lands, and uh, the sentences getting uh, stiffer and stiffer. Uh, they claim to follow the Sharia law. And it's only a selective, uh, you know, Sharia law that they follow. And the rest is, uh, you know, it doesn't apply to them. And any opponents, uh, opponents of uh, theirs are uh, put away according 
to them in their Sharia law, and which law, as I said, is very selective indeed. It uh, is good for certain individuals. It's not good for other individuals. And, you know, even when you look at uh, these countries, America has its, uh, you know, its constitution, uh, an envied constitution. How come, you know, that these forces uh, are so powerful? You know, we know that shaitani force, I mean, you know, the most powerful is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He gives a respite. But these, whilst these people have their respite, but they hell bent on uh, taking religion out of the constitution, uh, out of uh, uh, the way of life, and uh, making it perhaps illegal for ind- individuals to worship the one true God. Uh, how do you react to that, uh, Muhammad? Uh, well, you, you know, know being a, uh, an, an attorney first. And secondly, a world-class Azai. When, when people say that we don't want to identify ourselves with a particular religion, in effect, they are becoming atheists. In effect, they are losing their religion altogether. You're finding this is exactly the modus operandi of these Western countries that are talking about interfaith, um, that we should not mention, you know, bring up what religion you are in any formal dialogue. Very shortly, you spoke about the banning of the Bible. I was actually shocked because America was considered to be the stronghold for the Bible. The Bible thumpers and the, and the, and the preachers and the hot gospelers all came out from the Bible Belt in America. And they were so, you know, they, 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 the, the Bible was, the Bible schools and all that, was was a stronghold for these uh, the, 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 for Christianity, and what's happening now is that if the Bible is going to start being banned, it's going to start being removed from hotels and all that. I can say Alhamdulillah, Alhamdulillah, that's a good thing. But at the same time, what are they replacing it with? They're re- replacing it with godlessness. They're replacing it with Satanism. They're replacing it with Halloween. They're replacing it with devil worship. When you go out and you see today. Halloween, and Guy Fawkes, and all these pagan uh, beliefs that have crept into Christianity is much more prominent than even Christianity itself. That means in the guise of Christianity, under the name and the banner of Christianity, they have corrupted their own religion. And we know this was bound to happen because the Christian belief system is a very weak religious system. So they could very well change the Bible. They could very well change their beliefs and corrupt their views and corrupt the people. And at the end of the day, it's just because they're on a partial religion. It's just because they're on a false religion. So irrespective of which direction they go, they're still going to be lost. Islam is not that. Islam is a cut above the rest in that we do not import any belief system that was not established by Quran and Sunnah. So our religion is head and shoulders above everything else. But are we appreciating that this is what our religion is about? We cannot sit around the same table and say, your religion and my religion and Christianity and Buddhism and Shantaism and all these other religions are all the same. Never, never, never. It is not the case. We, the minute we accept that, that's an act of kufr. Because now we are, have relegated our religion to just another corrupt religion that exists on the face of this earth. Our religion is very different. So, yes, unfortunately, the West has the power. They have the financial muscle. They have the influence. Everybody is sucked up by what the West has to offer. And you find that 
I, I mean, just the other day, we thought we have a Muslim mayor in London, and we see that he's putting a garland of a Hindu sacred relic. You know, um, not, 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 he's not the first, and he's definitely not going to be the last. Where we thought we have Muslim leaders, these Muslim leaders are bowing down to Christian belief systems, are bowing down openly to Hindu belief systems. What type of Islam is that? The minute we start losing our religion, the minute we start becoming the punching bag for all the other religions, then there's nothing left in our religion ourselves. The religion will always be strong, but there's nothing, we don't have a share in that religion because we've relegated our religion to something far less. Mohammed, you you know always a great chat with you and really enjoying your company this uh, evening, and also you know you talk about the Christian uh, Baptist belt was so powerful. I mean it was the same Christian Baptist belt uh, that uh, put George W. Bush and his father and all the Bushes into power, and the uh, that same belt uh, prays for Israel and uh, b- biggest supporters of the Jewish lobby in uh, the American Congress and so forth. And, uh, you know, what's worrying? The worrying factor is, as you say, they go for, uh, they have gone to, they have diluted, uh, diluted uh, many individuals and uh, they're making, I mean, uh, Dan Brown, uh, in, uh, the, uh, the the Vinci Code, uh, his uh, sole aim was to take uh, the religion out of the equation and, uh, you know, question uh, uh, powerful individuals like Isa Salam and so forth and uh, make them like ordinary human beings and so uh, so forth, and you know, uh, ridicule religion and uh, putting uh, attributes to him that were really very sinister indeed. But what's a worrying factor is with the you know AI coming to the for uh, for artificial intelligence and uh, you know uh, the the, the uh, fourth industrial revolution is uh, getting into uh, artificial intelligence and so uh, and all, all 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 these things. What's worrying is they have already started this agenda of uh, programming the mind. You know, get all this religion thing uh, out of your head. Uh, you know, these Bibles and all that. They, they are not following uh, our protocols. You know, these, uh, as you spoke about, uh, you know, the Koma Lutz and all this. Uh, that stories are there, uh, both the Bible and the Quran, you know, abhor these things. And so they're taking all these things out of the equation, bringing in uh, this uh, artificial intelligence of the 40th Industrial Revolution. God forbid, Allah forbid, what would they take out? I mean, they will take out... Uh, <coughs> There'll be massive, massive job losses. Everything will be programmed, their robotics, and they will, this 10 or 12 people will be sitting in their uh, uh, control rooms and watching us because each one of us will be chipped, uh, Muhammad, and uh, controlling us. And if they, uh, you know, they'll be given the power to just start exterminating people and taking away jobs. I mean, certain professions will be non-existent, will be re- gone because it will be like a one-world disorder run by this... Uh, one individual, I'm thinking, I hope uh, our lawyers, uh, you know, they will, may replace, they may replace our doctors and all that because robotics takes over and then they can handle and even the food production, they will handle everything. Muhammad, attorney Hafiz Muhammad Kuvadia, put on your thinking cap and give me an answer there, please. So far, you throwing me into the, forget the deep end, you threw me into the ocean now like this, yeah. <laughs> And, and food for thought in many, many ways. You know, Islam has embraced modernism or, or technology in a way that, for example, in the last hundred years, what do we see? Today we walk into a masjid and azan is made over the loudspeaker, which never existed hundred years ago. 
the imam performs the salah and the salah is over the microphone and the speakers and and the many times the salah is televised and the speeches are televised and we're using technology to download the bayans and the talks and what we're doing now is technology but like a knife technology can be used for a number of purposes we can use it for good or we could use it for bad are we the same way that we could use a knife for good or we could use a knife for bad today technology is inevitable everybody has got a cell phone everybody has got access to the internet and social media and we're listening and we're learning and we could benefit from technology at the same time how much of that technology is being propagated and promoted today pornographic material is being blasted all over the internet you searching for islamic sites and you press the wrong button or something pops up in your face and it's something now the will that you wouldn't even want to uh, uh, something that you wouldn't want to see so this this internet can be can destroy your iman and we need as muslims how are we prioritizing ourselves you could go into a supermarket and the music is blaring and the women are walking around in skirts and mini skirts and alcohol is being sold and pork is being sold and you're surrounded by all the kufar and all the the haram around you but you could still maintain your iman if you know how to do it correctly and this comes with effort this comes with patience this comes with what what really taking that challenging yourself to be a better person how many unfortunately fallen by the wayside when we lived together in an apartheid era we lived in a community and we protected each other if any of the brothers are found to be buying alcohol and to be imbibing then as a community they would rally to assist him to talk to him to try to nurture him out of a situation today apartheid is gone and unfortunately people are living very far away from the muslim communities and their lifestyles have become like that so our children are going to non-muslim schools or they're going to government schools where no religion when no religion is being taught then remember that the religion of the devil is being taught because something needs to fill up that religious vacuum that we have in ourselves and if we fill it up with islam and tawhid and iman then we removing the shirk and the khurafat and the and and, and the wrong doings and the evils of religion from there because we replacing it with good but if we're not going to have the so we our children are growing up in atheistic communities the schools promote nothing but hedonism nothing but debauchery nothing but single gender now boys and girls will by we identify the single gender gender neutral they will go to the same toilet they will stand in the same lines they will be they will be absolutely where we used to be me and you shafat had to boys had to go for pe to one side and girls to the other side now it's going to be a free fall you change where you want to you you, you place pause with who you want to in it allah has created us differently that's why muslims we can't accept this is what the degradation of the community and it's unfortunate you know the reality is the constitution came to protect us and to protect our religion and to protect our identity as muslims but at the same time it appears that the constitution has given an opportunity for our own protection to be destroyed in the apartheid era we never had a constitution the constitution was only promulgated in 1996 but we were protected we found that uh alcohol was not sold on a sunday churches were being flocked to on a sunday 
and uh, there was just a mo- there was no casinos in this country. Prostitution was banned. Everything that was deemed to be immoral was a part and parcel of the community. We understand that apartheid was wrong because no man is superior to uh, to to another man in terms of his color or his race or his culture. From that perspective, Islam is the only differentiating criteria. But nonetheless, at least we found that there was a protection of our religion at the same time. We were a minority, and the onslaught of Christianity was all over, all around us. But as a community, we felt safe. We made our azan loud. We wore our kurtas. We wore our topis. There was no threat or intimidation. We could go and do our dawah. We could go and do our religious activities in the park, public, in schools. It happened. Nowadays, you can't go to a school because you're promoting your particular ideology to children who should be irreligious. What's going to happen in 20 years and 30 years from now? So yes, while we embrace technology, we need to know how to use technology to for the embetterment, embetterment of our religion, for the embetterment of our deen. If we're going to start becoming victims of technology, then we're going to fall by the wayside and we're going to lose our religion very, very, very quickly, Shafat. Yes, uh, Muhammad. The point uh, that you made, uh, you know, people sinned uh, yesteryear, but uh, you know, even there is uh, there was uh, someone uh, succumbed to alcoholism and uh, drug abuse or so so forth in uh, the Muslim community. Uh, he used to hide, and the people used to find him out, and you know, everything was done in secrecy. But today, a, a person blatantly says, "The Constitution protects me. I can do what I want. I'm free." You know, or if you even you 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 confront a thief. Uh, walking down the road and you go, you know, he's up to something and you say, oh, are you racial profiling me? I mean, these are the terms they use because the Constitution, you know, uh, unfortunately, it allows a lot of leeway. And, uh, you know, these uh, culprits uh, that are like to do the wrong things are using it uh, for themselves or, or their own vested interest. And also, you know, you talk about uh, during the time of apartheid. Yes, uh, most of the people were on the straight and narrow beside that great evil of apartheid. And then it was then that Ahmadidat came to the fore. In during apartheid time, you know, they used to have this uh, bibliothon and all that. They were uh, right really heavily into their religion and wanted to, uh, you know, uh, convert the entire South Africa to Christianity. And uh, this is uh, when our Sheikh Ahmadidat came to the fore and, you know, uh, gave them the rebuttals or debates and so forth. He used to even go into the, uh, into the bastions, you know, into the... Uh, uh, into into their towns and and talk to them, and uh, you know it was uh, the that that uh, took on his oppressors at that time and had done uh, very well. But uh, you know, Muhammad, we move on and and we look at uh, the blatant hijab profiling uh, by you know the staff of the OR Tambo Airport, and uh, you know many Muslim organizations have come forth uh, subsequently and have uh, you know voiced their objections. What's your thoughts on that, uh, Muhammad? You know. Unfortunately, sometimes we as Muslims think that the Christians and the Jews are our friends. We've been reminded on uh, numerous occasions in the Quran, uh, the Jews and the Christians will never be satisfied as you or Muslims until you follow the way, until you remove the hijab, until you start wearing short skirts, until you start looking as immoral as they are looking on the streets, we will always become their victims and we will always be the butt end of, their, of, of these types of, uh, 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 these mechanisms that they use 
for profiling us. So whether it's in the airport or whether it's in the bank, whether it's in the street, unfortunately, the mentality of these non-Muslims will always be the same. And we also told that we should not be taking them as our bosom friends. They, they should not be, they should not be. We have, we have to have a relationship sometimes with the non-Muslims because of various situations. They may be our neighbors. would manifest itself in the way they profile us from a religious point of view. That innocent lady who had to go through this process, she is, because she is a bit more vocal, she was able to let the world know that this is how they treated her at the airport. Unfortunately, these types of things happen every day. When you travel to a foreign country, because your name is Muhammad, you're suddenly subjected to a random test. If your name was Peter, you would be given the green light. So it happens everywhere in the world, and the Quran predicts it, and we have to accept that this is going to be the way of those people that are on hak and on truth. And wherever we go, I mean, we know so many prominent scholars that were refused visas to so many different countries. Uh, you know, prominent scholars, South Africa, who promote nothing but pure Islam and the truth. But unfortunately, people do not want to see Islam being promoted in other countries, no matter what it is that we have to offer. So they were, they were denied visas. People were being profiled and subjected to many types of screenings at the airports. A lot of them were even turned away at the airport after the visas were granted. As Muslims, part of our this is part of our challenges. Being a Muslim means that every day there's a different test. It's going to be those types of tests. It's going to be the test of the food, the halal and haram. How easily are we going to succumb to halal and haram in terms of food, in terms of, uh, in terms of uh, people legalizing or halaling, istihlal, it's called in Arabic, where people make halal things that are ordinarily haram. So, for example, you speak about kobelut or you talk about um, uh, uh, these types of relationships between men and men and women and women. It's legal in the community. It's legal people. I can even sometimes want to even find ways to make it halal, to say, no, it's something we are born with and we need to accept it in the community. And this is, unfortunately, the Quran says, for those that do not judge by what Allah has given us to judge, that is the Quran and the Sunnah, and one of the things that Allah says is they are kafirs. These people are out of the fold of Islam. So, yes, we have Islam as our yardstick. We have Islam as our brimstone. We have to take this Islam, embrace it, understand it, and know that it's going to come with its societal challenges. It's going to come with its legal challenges. It's going to come with its various challenges across the framework. How strong are we going to be? How strong are we as a community and individual? How strong are we going to be to these types of things? Gee, Muhammad, and also, you know, you bring up, uh, you always uh, tickle my memories here. Uh, Sheikh Ahmadi, that Rahimullah, was uh, banned from India. He was banned from France. People of Nigeria. And he was also banned from Egypt. Hey. You know, uh, when he went on the second tour, they, they said, no, no, yeah, he, 
what are you doing here, your Sheikh Zidat? And, you know, he told them uh, straight off, uh, there was a Sheikh from uh, Al-Azhar, and he questioned Zidat. He said, why are you doing this? You're causing ruckus amongst the, uh, the, the Christians here. Yeah, in Egypt, we are living in harmony, you know, with our Coptic Christians and so forth. So Dida told him, you know, one third of the Quran addresses the, the Yahud and Nasara, and I supposed to be talking to them, and you telling me, Yahi, that uh, you know, uh, yeah, yeah, you, should, you shouldn't be doing that. He said, yeah, but you, you know, you are too crude and you're too harsh in your speech. So Dida said, talk to me about Ibrahim alayhi salam. Was he, uh, you know, someone that was very pally with his father when he gave the message to his father? And his father says, I'll hit you and I'll chase you away and I'll do this to you. Uh, did Ibrahim alayhi salam upset people? You know, the, the, the sheikh was telling him not to upset people. He said, didn't he upset his father? Didn't he upset the king? Didn't he upset the people? Then he said, when Nabi Muhammad sallallahu gave the message, where the, his people upset with him because he's giving the message. So if my message is upsetting people, then I'm doing something right, uh, Muhammad. Perhaps your comments. You know, the greatest obstacles and the greatest challenges sometimes come from your own people. If you look at Sheikh uh, Pirat, and I think it was in Nigeria that they denied him a visa. I mean, Nigeria is, what, 50% Muslim. And why did the Muslims not stand up and say that we want, we demand that he be granted a visa to come to Nigeria? And like you quite rightly say, Egypt. Egypt is, what, 95 99% Muslim, apart from the 15 million Coptic Christians. The rest of Egypt is Muslim. Now you're getting an objection from somebody that is supposed to be doing the type of work that you are doing. These people have all the opportunity to do the dawah to the Christians, but they're shying away, they're running away as if Islam has got, we've got something to hide. You know, the Quran tells us that, Who is better than speech? From all the speech that you can be talking about, who is better than speech than the person that invites to the way of our Lord and does good deeds. And he proudly establishes and recognizes and proclaims his faith amongst the people. Are we proudly establishing and recognizing, making our uh, Islam recognizable? Look at the condition of the Muslims today. We don't even identify ourselves as Muslims. We're scared to grow beards. We're scared to wear our tobes and our kurkas. hundred years ago, Look at the pictures of the Europeans. Look at the pictures of Yan Van Rebek. They all had big, strong beards. And then the culture came in the community that you need to shave your beards off. So today, like lambs to the slaughter, some of our Muslims, unfortunately, want to resemble the ways of the kuffar. And we're not even showing any signs of Islam in our face. And I'm not picking, believe me, I'm not picking on the person who doesn't have a beard. But what I'm saying is, where is your identification? Sometimes you go to a foreign country and you don't know whether you see a person, he looks Muslim, but you wonder to yourself, is he really Muslim? If I say, assalamu alaikum, am I doing the right thing? Is he going to feel insulted? Is he going to respond? Because Muslims in so many parts of the world are not, you go into the masjid and that's where you say, oh, okay, this guy was a Muslim. I saw him in the street and I didn't even know he's a Muslim. There's absolutely no sign that this person is a Muslim. And it's unfortunate. It's unfortunate that we have succumbed to the ways of the West. We have relented. We have relegated ourselves to where we are, and we are being trampled upon by the other religions, by the other nations, by the other countries, because of the fact that we don't have the pride of Islam. We're not wearing the pride of Islam with us. 
Now, Allah forbid, uh, Muhammad, Allah forbid that, you know, uh, the uh, whisperings of the shaitan, uh, you know, especially when you get many visitors coming to this country and uh, generally our most of our people, you know, the vote, uh, the ruling party, say, oh, they give us a freedom of religion. And slowly but surely, when their bosses and the puppet and the puppeteer syndrome comes through, and when the puppets play the game of the puppeteer, and uh, you can see it's happening already. And uh, slowly but surely, the wasp we saw of uh, there's ISIS crisis in South Africa, uh, that there's terror cells in South Africa, all that is being ushered through. You know what that means? That slowly but surely, each Muslim will be monitored, his bank account will be monitored, his movements will be monitored, everything that he does, his shopping and all that. As it is all happening now, you know, we got our plasticated money, we got our cards and this and that. Uh, you know, what happens uh, to our constitutional rights then? And, uh, you know, when they brand terrorists, if, uh, you know, uh, one Muslim does it, then the whole group is, uh, you know, is labeled with the same tag and, you know, painted with the same brush. What happens then, uh, Muhammad? How would people like yourselves and people in your profession defend the Muslims? Or as George Bush uh, Jr. used to say, the Muslims. Talk to us, Mohammed. <laughs> so, in reality, let's put things in perspective. Think of it. If we go into a cashless society, when all your money is on your credit card, when all your money is in a bank account and you get nothing, no cash, we're coming to that. It may be a matter of 10 or 15 or 20 years. Eventually, we're going to be in a cashless society. So, if my brother Shafat is considered to be a terrorist, America presses one button and all of Shafat's assets overnight will be frozen. You wake up in the morning, you put petrol in your car, you go to your petrol station and say, sorry, we can't accept your card. You go out and buy a coffee, you don't have cash, your card doesn't work, you're stuck, you can't continue, you have to submit, you have to go to the nearest police station, you have to say, why have you blocked my card? Boom, 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 the system, arrest this man, he's considered to be a terrorist. This is unfortunately the terrorism of today, where Muslim individuals have been caught. We have been caught, as a community, have been caught with our fans down because we have submitted to their ways over the years, and now we have no choice but to submit once again. So internationally what's happening is that information is being shared, and your bi biometrics that you enter into South Africa is accessible around the world. Your credit worthiness, your bank accounts, your information is being shared to anybody, any government and institution that has an, some authority. They look into your accounts and they say, okay, we can see exactly this person in South Africa, who he is and what type of lifestyle. And because of this advancement in technology, we have no choice. We have, we're coming into a situation that we have to, we have to use credit cards or debit cards instead of cash and the risks from uh, from from a criminality point of view and the fee card that puts into place with moving around with large amounts of cash forces you to submit to the system. And we have cryptocurrencies that have been put into place where it's, you know, obviously now people are looking for alternatives and these types of anonymous wealth is has mushroom and sprung up. But that's, that, that could be for another discussion. But the long and short of it is, 
who decides on what and on what basis that this person is a terrorist. We are fundamentalists in the sense that we will not give up our religion. We will not allow our religion to become tainted and polluted with what has polluted and, and tainted the other religions. How paganism and how uh, uh, the African traditional religions has come into the Christian religion. In this country, Christianity cannot be seen as Christianity because it's a blend of Christianity and African traditional religions. So they believe in their ancestors as being part of an integral um, die, die, deity. So their forefathers would grant them wishes and would be, look favorable on them. And this is under the disguise of Christianity. And we as Muslims, we cannot be, submit our religion to any of these attacks. So we have to maintain our fundamentalism. We have to maintain our support for our Muslim brothers across the world, irrespective of where they are. This is the body of Muslims that we have. So my brothers that are struggling in Myanmar, for example, or in India, or wherever there is an onslaught against Islam, we speak out. And the Western governments do not want you to speak out. Now, in South Africa, coming back to South Africa in the Constitution, remember before 1996, South Africa did not have a Constitution. So various legislations were enacted to deal with our life and our lifestyle. So, for example, as non-whites, you had to live in certain areas. You couldn't travel to certain areas like the free state. You could not marry the person you, 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 wanted, you may have wanted to marry outside your race black or white or foreigner. You could not uh, go to a certain school. You could not work and take on certain jobs. And this was the evils of apartheid, which nobody can condone. This is condemned across the board. And, and just with that thought, remember that Nelson Mandela, until 1994, 1996, was still on the terrorist list. So this is their idea of terrorism. That even people who are fighting to establish their own rights in their own countries are considered to be terrorists. But be that as it may, South Africa established and entrenched a constitution which was the first of its kind in the country. And what did it hope to achieve? It hoped to achieve fairness, democracy, equality, reconciliation between the peoples of South Africa, diversity, responsibility and basic respect and freedom that we so lacked and we so required over the last 100 years that was lost. So it was welcome. The Constitutional Assembly sat down for like a year and they threshed out the issues and they came up and it was said at that time that South Africa's Constitution is one of the most foremost, one of the most well-respected and well-established constitutions around the world because it secured and protected our rights. But at the same time, rights can be challenged. So, for example, there's a chapter in the Constitution that talks about a person's religious and um, cultural freedoms. So we have provision in the Constitution that says that I, if I want to worship a cow, I want to worship the devil, I want to worship Allah, no matter what my religious aspirations are, the law is there to protect my religious views, to protect my religion, and to protect uh, my culture. So 
This was established in the constitution, and of course, very nobly we accepted it that it appeared, you know, the be all and end all to religiosity, and that we don't need any other further protection. But at the same time, there were groups of people that said, you know, how far does your rights extend? For example, I have a right to free speech. I have a right to voice my religion or my, or my particular views. And my particular views say that um, your religion is backwards. So a person could go and say, but you're attacking my religion. I'm protected in terms of the religious view. And the other person on the other side would say, no, but I have a right to freedom of speech. I don't believe that your God is God. And I have a right to say that I don't believe your God is God. So obviously the conflict will always be established in man-made laws. Man-made laws will always be subject to change, subject to... Yeah, I tell you absolutely, uh, Muhammad. Uh, you know, you're making a lot of sense there. Where it says that, uh, you know, man-made laws uh, will definitely be, uh, will be subjected uh, to uh, not uh, doing the job. Yeah, it's only divine decree that can uh, have us, uh, you know, uh, having everything moving properly. Because the things of this world uh, proceeds by divine decree and uh, not by man's administration. And uh, Muhammad, uh, as he says, uh, when giving too much of... Uh, yeah, Muhammad, are you back? Yes, I'm back. Can you hear me? Right. Uh, yeah, we, we, we lost you there, but I was just uh, complimenting yeah. you on your point where you said you know, that, yeah. too much of uh, freedom and, uh, uh, you know, all these uh, different types of uh, uh, jargons you get, uh, but you appease everyone and, you know, say, hey, you got the best constitution in the world, but then it can be abused uh, by those, uh, you know, that are uh, that, that, that do not believe in divine decree. But unfortunately, Muhammad, uh, you know, or fortunately, it has been a brilliant show indeed. Now and then some gremlins, but uh, we navigated well. We've run out of time. And I want to give you, uh, give you your last parting words before we close up. Mohammed. You know, whilst we have freedoms in terms of our constitution, whilst we have freedoms in terms of our legislation, Islam restricts us and protects us in so many ways. Islam wants us to lead a good, moral, clean life. And that would mean that whilst Taha, whilst homosexuality, whilst prostitution and all these things are being legalized, we at the same time need to know what our boundaries are from an Islamic perspective. So we are Muslims first, and that is our priority. This is how we identify ourselves. Irrespective of what the law of the land will say, the law of the land will prevent you from praying in the masjid, but you would then pray at home because prayer is compulsory upon us as believers. It's, the law of the land may permit you to do certain things, but we as Muslims know that our religion is our priority. This is our dustur. This is our constitution. And our constitution is al-a'la. It is the highest constitution ever, established 1,400 years ago, until the day of Qiyamah, which will be the ultimate constitution. So yes, from a legal perspective, I can only present to you the legal arguments and the discussions, but we always remember that we are Muslims first, and we carry the flag of Islam wherever we go. Jazakallah once again for having me on your show. The time went so quickly. I can't believe that we, we went through an hour so quickly. But Jazakallah once again to yourself and to your listeners. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. To our, yes, our 
Attorney Hafez Muhammad Kuvadia. Wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. As you said, time went on so quickly. And mashallah, a really enjoyable evening in your company. Time for us to go for the Isha Zan. And inshallah, we will continue after that.